Hello, welcome to Sisters in Colour. This is a new podcast about the amazing migrant women, their stories of their cultures, their faith, their resilience and ability to reinvent themselves professionally and personally in their adopted countries. Please join me on this journey of discovery of the richness, vibrancy and diversity of the multicultural women who choose to share their story. Now, I am so excited about our first guest today. She is an amazing woman who who lives and works in South Africa and comes from my country of Zimbabwe. Uh, Her name is Rebecca, and she has a platform called Rebecca Talks, which she's going to talk to us about. She has 20 years in the IT industry, working for IBM at the top levels of management. She has worked uh, both on the continent and uh, abroad in Turkey and the Middle East, and she'll elaborate a bit more about that. Uh, Rebecca is exceptionally passionate about uh, personal development, uh, bringing together her ideas through uh, storytelling, through vision boarding. Um, I'd like to welcome uh, Rebecca to our stage. Thank you. Glad to be here and having this conversation with you, Christine. Excellent. Uh, Rebecca, can you just give our audience a bit of background about who you are? Sure. Um, you know, born in Zimbabwe, uh, I always love to give this story. Um, you know, growing up, my dad lost his job and we actually became homeless. And I think at the age of 15, I really thought I would be, amount to nothing. And I kept on saying to myself, I'll never amount to anything. And then this one lady just saw the plight in our family. And then she said, you know what, there's a family that actually lives in America and they need an au pair. And um, that's how I actually ended up in America at the age of 18. And from there, I was able to support my family back home and um, just, you know, get everything started. And, and, but just to think of it at that time, my eyes started becoming much more open to the possibilities, um, even though there were opportunities in Zimbabwe. But I think just coming out of that mindset where I thought I'll never amount to anything. And then I started working in a call center for, after four years of being a child minder. And then, um, then working in that call center, that's when the IT bug bit me. And then I said, I think I can do this kind of thing. And then while working in IT as well, I said, I want to be in leadership. I want to be a manager. I want to help people. And I want to see people succeed. And that's where I also kind of developed that, um, the heart for people. And I think ultimately when you go into business, um, the underlying fact is that you need to find purpose and whatever you do. So it wasn't just about the IT and the technology and being part of great corporates, but it was really about at the end of the day, we're trying to solve problems and help people and then move back to South Africa in in 2006, um, three kids later. And then um, fortunately I was able to work for IBM in South Africa and there, um, you know, blessed my heart, my little um, experience from being a call center agent. I was running a call center team um, and then later on, one of the key clients for about 400 people and with eight managers reporting to me. And from then on, my dreams just kept on getting bigger and bigger on a career-wise. Um, family-wise, things kind of fell apart and that also kind of shook my identity quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm glad that I found purpose. That's where also the vision boarding um, came to light as well. Where I just said, you know what, 
I want to help more people just to see beyond their titles, see beyond their job roles, see beyond being just a mom or a dad or, you know, thinking that the title makes or defines you, but just finding purpose in, in life in general. So that's basically where I'm at. And that's where um, Rebecca Talks was also birthed um, through motivational speaking that I do and um, impacting individuals everywhere I go. Wow, that's a real potted history of, of where you're at. Can I just take you back just a little bit so our audience understands, you know, where you're at a little bit. So you're 18, uh, you're in, you find yourself in the United States of, of America. Which part of America were you in? Sure, I started off in Northern Virginia and mm -hmm. um, it was in a place called Oakton um, and um, close to Washington, D.C. Someone's not familiar with that, but that's where I started off. And then four years later, when I got married, moved to North Carolina, was in Raleigh and okay. had, um, yeah, so had my three boys there. And then, you know how it is family wise. It was like, OK, let's move back home just for family. Yep. And um, that's how we ended up moving. That's but, how we what was what were those first years like um, for you? So you mentioned that you were homeless and this opportunity came up for you. So you really didn't come from that background where you had that, you know, enforced from you at an early age that you could be anything. You really were sort of trying to find your feet. Now, how did you sort of work through sort of, you know, the different cultural shocks, being in a different country, being without your parents, and sort of just really finding your way. How did you work through that? Wow. So thank goodness for the family that hosted me. They were very patient with me. First of all, I was, you know, kind of not listening to my mom when it was time for chores. So I used to pay my sister off to do quite a bit of things. <laughs> so it was kind of rude awakening for me. It's like, okay, Becca, you're going to have to learn how to iron a shirt. And then I was like, wrinkling it the more I tried to iron so I think there are certain lessons that I had to wake up and kind of say Rebecca you're gonna have to learn and thank goodness for supportive people and I think from that side where even from a leadership style I learned to also to kind of give people a chance hey it's the first time they've been doing it or they've been doing it but they weren't doing it well and you need to rise up to a level of excellence um, culture wise it was a culture shock because um, it was predominantly um, in a white area, um, Fairfax County. Um, but the good thing is that I just kind of said, you know, I'm going to belong here. I'm here. I need to get in with it. And then the other thing was, but I still didn't have big dreams. I thought I, then later on, I said, maybe I want to start a Montessori school. That's that's when I thought, so okay, let me try something. You had teaching in your blood for a while. Yeah, so I said, let me try that. But then as soon as I started to enroll for that, that's when I met this guy and then decided to move to North Carolina to get married. Um, mm -hmm. But during that time, I really kind of like, I felt my sense of identity was really shaken because I was yeah. used to having mom and just also learning to um, navigate and um, find my independence. But one thing that I knew I was there for was to uplift my family. So I think having that purpose kept me on track because I think I could have wandered off the tracks, you know, based on influence from people. But I think I knew what the work that I was there for to, and to do. How did you find sort of maintaining your identity? Now, we've talked a bit about, you know, you've obviously... Uh, 
in the early parts been working through sort of you, you in a new country, there's a bit of culture shock. How did you start to sort of navigate back to your Africanism, if I might use that as a word, to finding, uh, you know, your, your pride and your passion and your sense of I am an African person? Um, how did you find that and not get so absorbed in the whole Americanization um, or that happens to a lot of us when, when we move overseas? How did you navigate that? Absolutely. Um, first of all, the family that I stayed with was Zimbabwean, so which was mm -hmm. really good. Um, and they had some sculptures around the house of African art. And then there are a few friends from Kenya. So that was also great exposure for me. Then I learned to eat chapatis. And so there I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And, um, and then when the family also worked for um, one of the African banks, the World Bank, and they did some projects overseas. So we used to travel quite a bit. So she went to Ghana with um, work and she had, it was on a long project and the kids on summer break. And that for the first time I went, traveled to Zimbabwe besides America then we end up in Ghana and Ivory Coast and there I saw the exquisite outfits that the women had and the food and I just took in everything and then I think for the first time I really just said Rebecca Africa and African is beautiful and then I had some outfits made and then when I came back I was going to church with my African print outfits and people were just like wow this is so pretty and I think there I became more conscious of where I was from and also na my narrative became different as well when and embraced I always say to a lot of people when I'm coaching I say embrace sorry, sorry to interrupt you Rebecca when you say your narrative became different what do you mean just can you elaborate a bit on that you know how like sometimes you introduce yourself and you say I'm Rebecca and I'm from Zimbabwe, but sometimes, you know, people want to know more, but you kind of don't want to open up as much because you're like, why do you want to know? There's nothing grand about it. But I became more um, happy to share my, my cultural background. And fast forward when I was running um, the call center teams in IBM South Africa, one of the things that I really was spearheading was the cultural diversity days. And because my team was um, had foreign language skills and were supporting one of the European clients, which had Dutch, Spanish, Italian, French, and, you know, and local clients as well. But I made sure that we had like a day where people would dress up in their traditional outfits and also make food, you know, from their place. Because I found that was one of the things that would break the ice and get teams to become more open to one another because everyone was curious like how how do you wear those necklaces like in the belly culture and so it really had a huge impact for me long term um even in my leadership with my diverse teams as well yes. how do you think um i live i live in australia and diversity here in terms of leadership is uh minimal to non-existent to say the mm. least and so how do you find uh being in africa i, I find uh, when I was certainly living and working over there, um, there was a lot more diversity in the leadership in terms of from a gender perspective. I thought Africa was a lot more progressive in that space. How, how have you found working, uh, if I take you back to your IBM days, how was diversity in that, in that space uh, from, you know, a feminism perspective, from a cultural um, perspective? What was the environment like? And how did that start to shape your views around um, diversity and its importance in leadership? Oh my, it was one of 
the best experiences I ever had. Um, so first of all, coming from running call centers and working in call centers in America, and then now working in South Africa with Europeans. So it was the Dutch culture that kind of woke me up because I think it's more direct and the German culture is very direct as well. And then the French culture. So I had like this whole culture shock from my own team members and they would challenge me, you know, so we would have a go at it, whatever their opinion was on a project or or technology system that we're trying to implement and not take it personally. I think that for me was one of the best lessons that I learned was to just say, you know what, everybody's allowed to express their opinion and provide their input, whether you agree with it or not, but still come to the same common vision of really trying to accomplish what needs to be done for the business objective. And then the other thing was the company is global. So one of the things that we really emphasized on was our own personal development. So we took quite a bit of cultural diversity courses. And there was this U, um, gentleman called Hugh Grant, one of the men who impacted not my life. <laughs> uh, not the actor. And he always used to say hashtag not the actor. But he... <laughs> To, to express cultural diversity coaching in such a beautiful manner. And that for me, I said, you know, I fully embrace it, even understanding the terminology of being a global citizen. And, and I think when I would see, like, I was leading some teams where we trained some South Africans to speak Dutch so they could support some of the Dutch clients. And I could see the cultural differences where some of them are more reserved, etc. So it was more cultural training that we had to now give them, I know, instead of um, just the language skills and the technical skills, but there was a lot of cultural awareness. So my leadership style was always, has always been also inclusiveness as well. So despite your technical differences, your um, cultural differences, your color differences, your gender differences, and I've also faced challenges as well, sitting in the boardroom sometimes where technology teams were male dominated. I had to take my seat at the boardroom and just kind of like say, I'm here and whether you like me or not, and but you're going to love me at the end of the day. But, uh, <laughs> but processes and tools will always be the common denominator, especially if you can't get everybody to love you back. Um, then you just, okay, at the end of the day, let's get the work done. And your work will speak for itself at the end of the day. Now, um, young girls don't tend to gravitate towards IT. I think, um, you know, a lot of the STEM subjects um, are still heavily dominated by men. So how are you finding, um, is that changing? Is that shifting in terms of, you know, girls getting more of an interest in IT? Yes, um, it's starting to shift a lot. So um, just as a, an antidote um, from my college days, I remember I signed up for this programming class and uh, we were about 25 people, I think about 14 women. And then at the end of the day, after the second week, I was the only girl left in the class and there was a Chinese lady who was actually the instructor. So fortunately, I had another woman to look to, to say, okay, okay I can stay in this course and the rest were just young men. And I stayed the course and made sure that I passed that class. So I think it, I experienced it personally where I see that women were just kind of like feeling like this is not for them. But I've got a young mentee that I work with and she's doing some amazing work. She's got this company she started called Social Coding, which is helping young girls from a young age to do IT and be exposed to that. And I think also from a STEM perspective, I don't know if you've heard the term STEAM. Um, yep. They've added the A to STEM, which is mm -hmm. more the art side. So I think, you know, with all the graphics designing that's coming through and a lot of artistic um, work that's coming 
coming, um, even, you know, when it comes to medical um, design and technology that comes with the tools that comes through with um, the different facilities that need IT as an enabler, I find that women are getting drawn into that. So I think if we package IT more from a social um, responsibility to say there are challenges in our community, how does IT enable and help you solve the problems? I think that's more relatable to a lot of girls and um, bringing the fashion industry and saying there's technology um, aspects of it. I think that can draw them more than just kind of like bringing it kind of raw the way we used to present it to the guys in that language. But I've been able to navigate around it and I've always tried to be a role model and just kind of be an advocate for IT that it does look cool and it's kind of relevant for women. And I've met quite a lot of women who are making strides in it. So it is coming up and a lot of powerful stories across the continent of women in technology. Excellent. Um, just speaking of the continent, uh, I find there's a lot of misconceptions uh, around Africa in general, around, you know, who African people are. What are some of your, your the biggest misconceptions that you, uh, people have about Africa? Um, <laughs> so I think it was really about, um, you know, Oh, so you guys have, you know, cool stuff there. You know, I think just from a technology perspective that, you know, we do have, you know, the internet. Um, yes, you know, sometimes it is. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Um, but but more people, I think because of also social media platforms, I'm also trying to intentionally, like I'm on Instagram and on Facebook, but I intentionally try to highlight the African stories and, you know, if I visit an African designer and kind of post pictures and, and people kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't know it was that cool, you know. So I think the misconceptions was, you know, we kind of need a lot of help from the outside that we don't have it within us. Um, even for ourselves as well, I think we used to have that whole mentality of we need a donor, we need a rescuer, we need someone to rescue us. But I think it's through collaboration, yes, from the outside help. But I think there's a lot of, lot of talent within the continent. I say Africa is full of possibilities and we are, you know, we need to come up with African solutions for the African challenges because who better to do it than the natives um, of this country. But there was a lady that I met one time. She's from um, Ethiopia, but she's, um, she, her name is Samir. I don't know if you know her, but you should connect with her, but she's got this yep. um, organization called Dawn, which was with mm -hmm. diaspora as well, community. Okay. And she, she's worked with the white house. She's done amazing stuff. But one of the things that when she articulated her story and she said, you know, I was born in America, my parents from Ethiopia, but then she saw the power of the diaspora community and then also then articulating the story of the African um, child and saying, how do we uh, make an impact in our community? But whether you're on the other side of the world, how do you go back and give back to your community where you come from? And I love giving back. And I think that's one of the drivers for me where um, we have to kind of tap into that um, community yeah. give back, but with that whole aspect of if you've been blessed to work in another country with the currency that's stronger than from where you come from, definitely so back or whatever skills that you have. For me, I'm pouring out my skills and the knowledge that I've learned so that we can uplift. And as we rise, let's lift each other up and um, we can now make a bigger impact in our nations. 
So tell us a bit about when you left IBM and how you made that transition from being, you know, in corporate, in the corporate world, in the tech world, doing all these interesting, amazing things and, you know, making the leap almost to a startup. And starting yeah. your own um, and going out on your own, and that requires, you know, a, a level of courage and a, a level of, you know, venturing into the because you've been at IBM twenty years, um, also at that point. So what what was happening at that point, and what what was really the driving force uh, behind you starting Rebecca Talks? All right. So take me. Um, so just a point of correction: twenty years in IT um, background, mm -hmm. but about eleven years at IBM. It's, um, okay. yeah. And um, so take, I think the great thing, most people will always follow up and say, Rebecca, when did, you kind of found more out there. I said, actually, funny enough, when I was working in all my roles, I was mentored. I was coaching a lot, um, a lot of individuals who felt frustrated with their careers, um, who's also worked for an organization that was silo driven. So depending on the department that you're in, so you have someone approach and say, hey, I'm thinking of moving. I'm frustrated with my skills. And um, what do I do next? So I was really doing a lot of coaching um, within plus my job. And then one of the things that I also did was I was chairperson for the women's network group for the women in South Africa, for IBM and the women in technology. So I always, always had this um, community give back kind of um, attitude because I always felt that was my fuel to do my normal day job and um, coaching entrepreneurs as well. So all that knowledge and that skill, it was kind of like preparing me for what I do now at Rebecca Talks. And a friend of mine was just saying, Rebecca, you, you need to kind of help more people because people need to hear this message. And through my healing process as well, because I went through a divorce and, um, and one of the things that I knew was to kind of, and more people need help. They, they need, they might be coming to work, but they're hurting inside. Do they know their purpose? Do they know how to have the right tools to deal with the challenges of personal life and still perform at work? And I think that was the driving force for me to be able to bravely launch Rebecca Talks, but through mentors as well, who kind of kicked me um, to say, you're going to do this. And because um, I had it on paper, I was doing it on the weekends I, through people just inviting me to do talks. And um, but it was kind of like a oh, side gig thing. But then later on, I just fully immersed myself. I said, because I think once you hear what the market needs and people are calling you, um, mm -hmm. people that you don't even know, people being referred and saying, hey, I've got a crisis at work. I need your advice. How do I navigate through the politics mm -hmm. of this? And then making that time and having meetings with them. And I think that for me became the driving force to say it's bigger than me. It's not about, you know, my brand or anything, but it's actually meeting a need. And I think once you find people who are putting them, having a go at work or at senior level roles, but they're not fully equipped and don't have the right support. You want to be there for them because that's something that I would have wanted someone to do for me. So that's the model that my business is really built on and just being positive, um, bring positive stories and um, to, to people, like I was saying, I'm very intentional now from the context of the stories that I give on social media that people may know that the African continent has but talented people and who are yeah. having a go at careers and life yeah <laughs> so what is what is the personal development industry like in africa so i've known from uh, a lot of the contacts that i've had through linkedin i've been so pleasantly surprised as to how much is going on in that personal development that business coaching uh space uh can you give us a bit of insights from a southern african uh 
point of view, uh, how how that is emerging as, um, in my view, a game changer uh, for business and for, for personal growth? Oh, that's such a great question because I think a lot of people do go out and they do get the formal education and get your master's degree. You, so it's, there's a lot of book knowledge. So, and I think what corporates are finding when they're hiring individuals, they're saying, okay, great, you've got the knowledge, the technical knowledge, you've got the book knowledge, but sometimes to navigate through some of the softer and the gray areas of corporate, um, some people are not fully equipped, so they do need those soft skills training, they need the personal development, but one of the things that we found is that investing in people is you get the best out of them, and your business will perform better, you can't ignore the people that are working for you, and, um, and I've got a friend of mine, Helen Nicholson, she runs a company called The Networking Company, and she's doing a phenomenal job um, across big corporates in South Africa, where she actually has tailor-made um, personal development programs for top talent individuals where the companies are willing to invest in that. Um, so I've met quite a few people in my network as well who are doing the same thing. And the thing is that you, in order to succeed, just because you got that job, doesn't mean you're going to stay in that job. So you need to continue to equip yourself to, in order to stay and grow and innovate. And what better way in investing in yourself? And um, so it's quite a, it's well take, um, accepted. Some corporates, although have their own um, platforms, their own, in, um, I'd say IP when it comes to personal development. But I think sometimes individuals also kind of want something different, something from the outside different perspective to help uplift them. So there's great opportunities. Um, still more work to be done and know across the continent as well, Kenya and Ghana, some of the countries and Nigeria mm -hmm. were investing a lot in the employees um, through personal development programs. Yeah. Um, you said to me you're writing, you're in the process of writing, you're, an, you're a Birkening author, uh, and I know yeah. you, you're in the process of writing three, uh, three books. Do you want to tell us a bit about, uh, about your writing and where that's coming from and so, uh, what you're hoping to influence in that space? Sure. Um, one of the things that I did when I was um, coaching a lot of women um, in the network groups was I tried, and even just individuals in their career, I realized I needed to give an analogy that would make sense to people. So I, I took the analogy of driving. So, so driving to your success. And so it's something that I incorporate in a lot of my talks. So even with the vision boarding as well, just to say, you know what, don't live in park mode, don't park your dreams, you know, don't be neutral mode where people take you wherever. So that kind of birthed the book that I'm writing called um, Driving to Your Success. And, um, and it's got a lot of leadership gems in it um, to help anyone navigate through the roads and the terrain. And because um, I felt like, you know, my life was going well on the red carpet of corporate. You know, the team loves you. You're the best thing since sliced bread. And then the challenges come. And then you're not prepared for that. You know, the bad storms of life. You know, there's a bad road ahead or bad weather ahead. And so I try to use those analogies to help someone who might be new in leadership or someone who was already in leadership to help um, give them more tools and different perspectives on how to succeed. And then the other book that I'm writing is more about my healing pain. Um, so sometimes I give the analogy of leading while bleeding because um, sometimes your heart might be broken and, but you still got to show up. The clients are not going to yeah. stop requiring their needs. So, um, just go on. <laughs> so I think, 
that one was when people saw and heard about my story of healing from um, in marriage that had fallen apart was, but how did you do it? Because I had the most challenging job role um, at that time. I'd just taken on a challenging job role. So I could have actually bowed out of the game and just kind of gone through depression. But I just said, you know what, I'm going to pull through and through getting the right tools and getting the right um I'd say support, um, I was able to still rise above um, the, the rubbles of things that were lost, I would say, in the fire. And then the other book that I'm writing is just about encouraging people to just keep fighting, fighting for your dreams. And it's called One More Round. And um, so it's a faith-based book and just the power of not giving up in the round of life. Sometimes you get hit um, with a left hook that you didn't see coming, but you got to get up. <laughs> You got to get up and go one more round because sometimes you might be in your first round of, of your fight or you're in the 11th round, you know, but don't give up. Don't throw in the towel and get the right people on your corner to coach you and to encourage you. They can't fight your battles for you, but you can fight for yourself as long as you're determined to know that that price is bigger than your pain. Yeah. So that's basically what's in the pipeline. Sounds excellent. Um, there's uh, just a question for me. Um, we have a personal connection that I've recovered too from a, a broken marriage. And one of the things that I found in the African diaspora, particularly uh, with women here, uh, with us African women, because divorce is so frowned upon in our community and mm -hmm. the way our culture um, views divorced women, uh, I've had so many conversations with women about um, the fact that, you know, a divorced woman is seen as used up goods. Um, we have a saying in our culture, it's like the lowest form of life to be said, you know, you know, so just having that connection and, you know, being two women who've gone through that space, what can you share with women? Um, there's a lot of pain out there uh, and there's not a lot of support usually from the immediate family. Uh, you mentioned um, that you were, you know, you were at the top of your corporate game. You've just taken on a very challenging role and yet you found the tools and the support. And knowing that, you know, that's not readily available to a lot of our sisters, what would you say to women who have gone through or going through some of the challenges uh, both you and I have gone through in terms of a marriage literally falling apart? And from an African woman's perspective, if the household falls apart, it is your yeah. fault. <laughs> what would you say to, to our sisters about that? Oh, you know, my heart goes out to, to a lot of them because some of them it's like, you know, it's unwanted um, in their cases sometimes. Sometimes it's their fault, you know, where you think you can do better and then you find, hey, you know what, it's not better out there. But the one thing that I always say, no matter where you're at, no matter what's been lost, no matter what pain you're going through, you can always get up, but start by crawling if you have to. Um, number one, get up, wake up every morning. Just, just that effort of rolling out of bed is important. But sometimes the depression and the hurt and the shame that comes with oh, the yes, word. Oh, yes, the shame is a big thing. Oh, <laughs> you don't even want to show your face, you know. You'll be like, I'm so ashamed. So you, you'll be filled with shame and you don't want to show up at the parties or, you know, at events. So that helped me where I had a friend where she started like a girl's, you know, dinner date type of thing. So we used to have a girl group and you'd wear a little black dress and, but we'd try out different restaurants, but it was more like a sisterhood. And I kind of like, first I was so shy to do that because I didn't want to put myself out there. 
And um, that was part of the thing that kind of helped me to just put my makeup on and, and dress for it, even if, if I wasn't feeling so great inside. And then the other thing is whatever job role that you're in, still perform. Because the thing is that um, if you that's your livelihood because it's one thing that you've lost the marriage but then now your source of income so you can't self-sabotage the pain that happened was an emotional in the marriage thing yes it's filtering into your work but still keep the issues separate work is work and the marriage is the marriage so don't let it kind of spill into that um, exercise is always good um, but I think also opening up to the right people. Sometimes you will bump into the wrong people while opening up and they don't, they'll use that information to kind of hurt you even further, but still don't stop trusting people. You will find that sisterhood that will help you or the brotherhood because there's some men who actually helped me. I remember I went to, um, I call him uncle Alex. He was an, a mentor. I said, I'm, I'm dropping the balls. Um, I feel like I'm missing meetings. I'm not meeting my deadlines because I really felt overwhelmed. And then he sat me down and he just said, Rebecca, have a schedule. Stick to that schedule. Tick off things that you've accomplished and having a sense of accomplishment. So I would really say don't hide in shame. Deal with the ugly. Deal with the good. But um, also just get your brave on because I think after the – I remember you speaking to because I think I just sat with my boys at one day. I said, boys, you know what? This is happening. And mom wishes could, things would be different, but we're still going somewhere with our lives. Let's do a vision board. And that's where the vision board actually was birthed um, oh, in 2011. Was. It was at the dining table and said, mom is going to do work hard at work. Okay. And you guys have to work hard at school. Okay. Can we promise each other that? <laughs> yes. That's the partnership. <laughs> partnership because it was almost like everything was just falling apart because now you we all felt like we built our world around this individual and he was a strong tower great person so it wasn't like he was a mean person you know or anything but it was really just a matter of okay but who are we without this um, individual who was the pillar yeah. and um, the heartbeat so so learning to cast a vision to say beyond the pain beyond the disappointment where am I going and a lot of women want to think that I'm trying to encourage them just to say who are you and what are those talents that you've always had boxed up inside of you let them out if you wanted to write or paint no matter how old you are it's never too late to dream again and if um seems like one dream has died dream a new one you know your your part the possibilities are endless and i think we are lionesses of africa and um it's really to tap in and just kind of rise above those ashes and and i my theme word this year was unstoppable because there's so many reasons why we can stop in life um and we lose things along the way, but just keep going and keep pushing. And, and I'll say find um, a community that will help you, but also find a purpose, like maybe going back to school, doing a course, um, pick up those knitting needles. If you used to knit, maybe a goggle, um, train you to crochet, you know, do that again, you know, but just, just start living again. And um, so that, that's, that'll be my advice to, to people, but also just don't live in the shame. Yes, it happened. Yes, it could have been different, but it's happened. You know, now where do we start? And my mission is always like, okay, yes, it happened. Yes, we've cried um, and allow yourself time to cry and, and heal. But now what's next? Next, let's move on. We can't keep on living in the parking lot of disappointment forever.
Yeah. Now, back to Rebecca's talks. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, the, the, the people you interview, um, the people who come on your show? What, what are they teaching you? What, what messages are they um, inspiring, you know, for you and for, for, for your viewers? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I've met some incredible people and it's through the network. So one of the things that I always try to tap into is um, who, just authentic living. Um, how are you living your life? You know, whether you're a cook, whether you are. Um, I remember speaking to um, grandmas that have financial literacy training. And this, um, yeah, the, these grandmas and they do knitting. And so we're training them on finances. And then I did an interview with one lady and she's like, Rebecca, I really felt like I was at my, you know, like I don't have enough money to even budget for. And, but then now she had hope. So I think it's really meeting people where they are trying to make ends meet. So it's mm -hmm. not really about the glamour, but I always like to go behind the scenes of the how to, how does one try to make a living through the basic things of life and with whatever they have. And I always say, what's in your hands? Um, so I think those are the people that I found. I found some really prominent people who are doing very well in their fields, whether it's in um, deco or whether it's in financial um, institutes. But I think for me, my, my message is quite diverse, but I'm trying to still hone into that one story of inspiring other people to say, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. Um, what's in your hands? And are you truly expressing the life that you were designed for? And, um, and it can be very different from, for different people. So yeah, I've, I've been more inspired than anything else. But I think the more people hear these stories as well, they can be inspired to run their journey. What would you say to the young African girl? The young African oh. girl who is where you were before you went to America. What would you say to her? Um, my message is always you don't have to go out of the country to find your, your, your purpose. Um, start from where you are. So I remember when I was younger, um, I used to help kids in the community. I remember going to church and trying to volunteer and kind of like do some activities with them because they were running around outside. And I think just tapping into those little things that you find yourself naturally doing is, you know, as a young African girl, start with what you have, start with what you're good at and develop it from there. Because many times we're looking for the big events and the big money and the big bang theory and the big launch, you know, and then the money never comes or when things are almost aligned, something happens. So I would say, but start small and be faithful with the small. And then the other thing is believe in yourself. You are beautiful, flaws and all dark, um, big or, or fat or thin, tall or short, you are beautiful. An African girl is beautiful. And love yourself and embrace every part of the story, the ugly, the tragedy. Um, articulate that story. Every chapter of your life matters and your dreams are valid as well. And I'll say to the African girl, also dream in wide open spaces without borders, without limits, because sometimes we put borderlines and limitations mentally on ourselves besides what people have done to us. Yes, some people you grew up being told, you know, you know, I mean, especially for a young African girl, you know, don't speak until being spoken to. Oh, you <laughs> yeah, so you incorporate your as to speak for yourself and brag about your skills and then you're thinking like, no, no, that's not what I've been taught. So it's really breaking out of those restrictions, but with respect, obviously, but I'd say dream without borders, African girl, because the world is 
there for you and is there to offer you whatever you need. Yes, there will be hurts and disappointments along the way, but as long as you dream and have your dream is valid and you are able to rise above whatever limitations that you might find yourself in. Before I ask my final question, can you tell me a bit about your singing? Because I saw on your Facebook page, you have a beautiful voice. What does, you know, I, that was a pleasant surprise because like you're multi-talented already. I thought, this is unfair and she can sing. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I love singing. Music is like such an intricate part of my life. Uh, when we're in America as well, my ex-husband and I used to record, we used to have a recording studio in the house. We used to do gospel music and, and tour and do some like an African style type of thing. But when I was younger, I always sang from the age of 15. Um, yeah, so I started to sing. My family, my dad always made me sing and my my brother used to play guitar. So I think just coming from a musical family, love country music, hint, hint, um, and um, love African music. I love classical. I think I just love music, but um, my heart just sings when I'm happy. And um, yeah, and one of the songs, I also incorporated a lot of music in my workshops as well, because I yeah. think there's power in that way it just speaks to your soul you know and it just helps rise that and even like when i was going through a tough time one of the songs that i sang was i hope you dance you know it really just kind of say i'm speaking to my spirit like becca you're gonna dance girl you know no matter what (laughs) 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 i hope you never lose your sense of wonder when you get your fill to eat, never lose that hunger. May you never take one single breath for granted. God forbid love ever leave you empty-handed. I hope you dance. 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 Across oh, the that is wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rebecca. That is wonderful. And my final question to you, you amazing, amazing woman. What is the impact that you're wanting to have uh, in the world with everything that you're doing? What is your legacy? What is the impact you want to have? I really, my, oh, you know, I always say I want to leave someone feeling better than they were, but just seeing beyond their pain or the feeling of feeling like they've been in a rut, um, seeing beyond um, their frustration, their disappointments, their their losses and um, whatever they've gone through. And some people also have like accomplished great dreams. Like I remember meeting a lady saying, I've just got my PhD, but I still feel like what now you know so it was almost like the disappointment of success in a way and um but for me my mission was like no there's more you know tap into the endless gifts that are hidden inside of you You haven't lived your life fully yet live the life that you were designed to live and be the best expression of what you're wired and designed to be um and just have a go yes you might fall but embrace that part of the story because when you had a go at that business idea it was a good idea they say that at that time. So yes, it didn't work out. But so for me, it's just to keep getting up and seeing beyond the, the failure and just keep pushing and doing life as, as normally as bravely as you can, but being your full authentic self. And that's my, my legacy. And even for my sons, my three sons, it's like, you're all unique. You're created differently, but I just want you to 
express fully what you were designed for as best as you can. And it doesn't have to be in limelight or whatever, but do your part um, in living the life, your life in full. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, where can our viewers find you? Like, where can people um, look you up if they're wanting to, to, to follow you and learn a bit more about you? Where can they find you? Sure. I've got a Facebook page, which is Rebecca Talks. And then, um, so you can just look under Rebecca Talks. And then on Instagram, it's Rebecca Cano. And Twitter handle is also Rebecca Cano. And um, then on my LinkedIn page, it's Rebecca Munyuki Canerera. And, um, but um, my maiden name is Canerera. So in case anyone is like, a little bit confused, but a lot of my branding and some of the articles I was in was under Munyuki. So in case they Google and search me, I'm one and the same person. Yeah, so hope to follow me and I'll follow you back. I'm really good at doing that. And, and whatever lane you're in and whatever you're doing in life, you know, just be encouraged and just keep doing your, whatever you got to do and, and bring, help others' dreams come true because I think that's the essence of all that we're doing is helping your clients' dreams come true in partnering with them with whatever service you provide or in the coaching or the mentorship or just the, the motivational speaking that we do is to just unlock those dreams that have been muted, buried, and stifled, stifled down is just dream in wide open spaces. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for your time. This has been totally amazing. I've really enjoyed our conversation with you, and I'm sure our viewers will benefit tremendously from uh, your experience. Your compassion really comes through. You ooze enthusiasm, motivation. You You've been through it. You actually, you, you walk the talk. Uh, you, you're talking from your lived experience and you're living with passion. You're such an inspiration. You're a mom, you're a businesswoman, you're a corporate leader, and you're doing it all from the beautiful continent of Africa. And yeah. we love you for it. And we love everything that you're doing. Um, <laughs> continue to grow. Uh, let us know when uh, the books come out. We're really, uh, really looking forward to, to reading uh, to reading all of that. Uh, so we just want to thank you so much for your time today and for waking up really early with the time <laughs> on, uh, on this virtual platform um, with us on uh, Quite. So thank you very much, Rebecca. Thank you for having me and love technology and the collaboration. I know wish you well at Quite. I'll definitely be watching your space and um, sharing the platform with other people so they can know what y'all are up to and, and join in on the movement in helping transform and uplift our continent. Thank Excellent. you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Alrighty. This podcast is being recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. You can reach out to Sisters in Colour on our social media pages and on our website, Migrant Women in Business. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. This is Christine Mudavanu. Thanks for listening to Sisters in Colour.